My name is Jim Fultz, and I'm just a sovereign member of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sobriety date is 19 March, 1973. <coughs> that was the day I went in. That was the day after I went into treatment in the Philippines. I went in in a blackout. But before I get into that, I'll tell you about what I was like before I ever picked up a drink of alcohol. I'm the seventh child of seven children that my mother raised to be adults. As a child, I was a glutton. One of the typical things I did as it was before I was a teenager, I could take a 26-ounce Coke, the big ones, glass bottles, and I'd go up and come down in less than 30 seconds. I was known frequently to raise the little ones up, set it back down. Somebody else's mind, I was drinking. That's the way it was. Okay? But also, I was a thief and a liar. If my brothers had something, you know who would get into it, get his butt beat, and turn right around five minutes later and do it again and deny it. Denial. I grew up with denial. I denied everything. Many a times, I told lies when the truth would have served me better, just to see if I could get over it. Those are the kind of things that I was doing, I can remember doing, day 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, long before I ever picked up alcohol. I was, my father could punish me for something. Ten minutes later, I turned around and did the same thing. After prophesying, I'd never do it again. Get my butt beat again. Didn't make any difference. So what? That was my attitude. Needless to say, I thought that you know, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, neither of my parents drank or smoked. My dad was at church four times a week. Generally, that was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then once for a deacon's meeting or one of the other meetings that the church was having. But he was in there always at different times. You know, uh, smoking, drinking wasn't allowed in our house. And I did a lot of things that wasn't allowed. And my dad would shake his head and walk off. The first time I remember drinking alcohol, I was about 13. I was out with a bunch of guys. Somebody had scored a quart of beer. And we were going to pass it around. And I happened to be the third person that they passed it to. And as I went up, somebody screamed, No, don't let him have the bottle. You guessed it. I tried to get as much as I could. I left a little bit in the bottom. After they poured it down. Not because I brought it down. I could go to court. But I remember drinking at different times. And I remember people talking about blackouts. I never had them. I didn't drink that much. Most of the time when I did drink, it was beer. And if I went out with some of my guys, two or three glasses of beer out of a court was about all I wanted. I really and truly didn't want a lot. When I joined the Navy, I graduated high school, joined the Navy a week later. I got in the Navy. My first year, I rarely drank. Rarely. And most of the time, it was just one or two. Pull in the Philippines, where it's perfectly legal for me to drink. I didn't drink. 
back in the States where it was illegal for me to drink occasionally on rare occasions. Again, I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't, you know, I didn't do things that would get me in trouble. At age 22, I got married, uh, not to a hometown girl, but somebody who didn't know, that I didn't know very well. She was, she married me to get away from mommy and daddy. I married her for her body. Yeah, that's the only way it, it was going to work. And for the next five years, she made my life miserable. Yeah, and she admitted that. Well, she did things that she knew would make me go to the bar and drink. And well, she would you know, constantly agitate me. Well, after five years, I, you know, I'd already realized early on that that marriage wasn't going to last. But uh, it's also during that time that while I was, I was back in the Navy, uh, I re-enlisted and was serving my second tour when I got a bad fitness report. And I attributed to that to alcohol. And for the next three months, I didn't drink until I got a good fitness report. And then it was back to drinking. And that continued throughout my Navy career until I went into rehab. Drink when I could, as much as I could. And well, life number one and I split and went different ways. Her final, one of her final things she said is, you're an alcoholic? Yes, I am. Why don't you go to Alcoholics Anonymous? I'm not ready to quit drinking. Never been to an AA meeting. Didn't know what it was about, but I knew what it was about. If you can understand that statement. I knew that Alcoholics Anonymous was about not drinking. And I wasn't ready to quit. Consequently, when I got ready to quit, I found I couldn't. Uh, my first encounter with that Alcoholics Anonymous was act as a direct result of getting DUI number four. You know, smart people learn after one. Less of those of us who aren't quite as smart, usually it takes a little longer. Well, it took me four of them. It actually took me three because uh, two of them were on the same night for the same incident at the same time. One from the military and one from the state of California. Number three and four came together. But they were still there. They became part of my record. I went to Alcoholics Anonymous over that. For 77 days, I stayed sober. On step one, maybe step two, I could see where I was insane. I knew I was crazy, but insane? I wasn't quite, quite sure about that one. Went back, to, went back to drinking after 77 days. For the next six months, every time I was aboard a ship, every time that ship pulled in port, I'd say, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to get drunk. And you know what happened? I got drunk, and I drank. And I drank. And I drank. I would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning at Reveille and go off the ship over to the canteen because they opened at 6 o'clock and start drinking beer. Again for beer. Something I'd never done. I could not not drink. And I proved that to myself. Finally, I created an international incident where the captain of the ship 
aircraft carrier. Uh, had to go to the embassy and explain my behavior. I uh, assaulted some British citizens and said some things that, to a man's wife that shouldn't be said. Needless to say, uh, we all, a bunch of us, wound up in trouble. But I was the instigator behind it. They all got off with nothing, I guess. I don't know. I know that the captain of the ship was very really upset with me. He wanted me court-martialed. That didn't happen because I happened to have a very good person who knew what the rules were. And he informed the captain that I was going for an attorney and, you know, this was the way the game was going to be played. And uh, the ship's lawyer didn't want to challenge us because there were some things in there that I would have gotten off with. And I would have gotten off with everything except either being drunk and disorderly or disrespect to a commission officer. They were going to get me on one or the other, but they wanted me on a whole lot more. It was simply to take me to Captain's house, take away some of my stripes. And at that point, I had 12 years, 11 years and 8 months and some few days in the Navy. And uh, that captain said, I'm kicking you out of my Navy. We don't need alcoholics. And he said that, I immediately went down to sick bay and talked to the medical officer. He said, no, Captain's already decided. You're not going to rehab. And I said, then I guess I've got a lawsuit coming down. And he looked at me and said, lawsuit? I said, you guys can be sued solely and wholly. I said, and I'm not above doing it as soon as I get out. You're denying me treatment. I have not been to treatment. I have not been to treatment at that point. Well, they wound up putting me in treatment. Navy's program was 42 days. I spent over 100 in it. I'm not saying I was sick, but I think common sense says I was sick. When I came out, I came out with a big hammer over my head. They allowed me to stay in the Navy and finish my career. So long as I didn't pick up a drink of alcohol. And for the first two years, that was no problem. Two years, what happened was, one day I wanted to drink, and I told this, my superior, who had been, we had transferred together to a new command, and he said he didn't think they could get me sober again. You know what my alcohol brain said? You didn't have anything to do with getting me sober in the first place. And that little light went on back there and said, oh, yes, he did. He helped get you into treatment. He's made sure that you stayed sober. Follow directions. And I went next door. And I'd been standing out on that balcony, the second-story building, and looking over at that other building for the previous two weeks while I was going through the school. And I looked down that day and I saw CAAC, Counseling and Assistance Center. And I went over and I walked in and I said, I'm an alcoholic and I need to talk to an alcoholic. The young lady said, just a minute. About five minutes later, this guy came up and said, my name is Bill, and I'm a counselor. And we went back and had a little chit-chat. And time, the time just started, I want to say it was about 10 minutes after 12. At 12.30, all of a sudden, I had been going sporadically to alcoholics on these meetings, but... I had not become involved. I had never seen that man before. Never. 
frequently went to the San Diego Young People's Meeting. I went, frequently went to the Friday Night Beach Young People's Meeting. You see, I was barely 30 years old, and I classified as a young person. And for the next month, every meeting except one that I claimed as my home group, I would go to a meeting, and there was this guy. His name was Bill. He became my sponsor. He first told me no, he couldn't sponsor. He wouldn't sponsor. And I said, you've got what I want. And as you have a way of living, you have a way of talking, you have a way of being that I'm willing to do what you did. He eventually became my sponsor. The first thing he did is he led me through the steps. I had to take pen to paper, not him. I had to share it. He did not let me get off with saying, I'm sorry. He did not let me get off with saying, uh, well, it's time for me to make an amends, and I need to make this amends at someone else's expense. He made sure that I would buy the book. As a direct result of that, I got a new home group. I became involved. I became first involved by going to all California Young People's Conference. It was a Young People's Conference, and I went up and had a blast. And that's why I found out there was an international Young People's Conference, and it was going to be held in Memphis, Tennessee that year, over Labor Day weekend. And I grew up in Arkansas, 35 miles from Memphis. Click. I can go home and see mom and dad making an amend and get to attend that conference. It didn't quite work that way. I got to go make a living amend. Yes, I did get to attend that conference, but it didn't work the way Jim planned it. It worked built on what I could and could not do. My sponsor told me a lot. He gave me directions. One of the first things he taught me is, well, he said, you know, you've got about as much patience. You know, you always got to be in the lead. You always got to be out front. Why don't you do something about your patience and tolerance? You're very intolerant of other people. You see it. You act it. Okay. I pray for patience and tolerance. And after about a week of patience, praying for patience and tolerance, I got tired of being surrounded. You got it. God gave me plenty of chances to practice. Never once did he remove the impatience. Never once did he improve, remove the intolerance. All he did is give me chances to practice. And when I wouldn't practice, he just kept piling more on because I kept asking for more. Careful what you pray for. You just might get it. I did. Finally, I learned. I said, okay, God, ain't going to do this no more. But I still need to learn patience and tolerance. How are we going to do it? Difference. Don't give me patience and tolerance. Teach me how we are going to be patient and tolerant. And I know that God doesn't have a problem with it. Step one was never my problem. I could admit my life was unmangled. I always had that. It was unmangled by me, my parents, my school. The military. I got in this program 
Not learn much, but it took him a while. He had to beat me up severely. Step two, I came, I came to, I came to believe. Step three, I made that decision to turn out my life and my will over the care of God on a daily basis. Every morning and before 10 o'clock, I was back doing things my way until I learned my way didn't work. I said I did step four and five with my son. Step six was the hardest. Looking at my shortcomings and trying to figure out ways so that I didn't have to do it. Kind of the way I could on that step. Gave up and had to admit that God, you better take them because I can't. Step seven. I learned that step seven prayer and I use it a lot to this day. Step eight. Made a list of all persons to be at home. I had that list made when I did step four. My sponsor made me keep my step four. He said, we're going to use it again. And that's where he introduced me to that other column. Not the three, just the three that the book has. The other two columns, actually. One was, what was my card in it? And the other one was, well, what am I going to do about it? When I wrote, be humble, not good. Figure out what you're going to do. You're going to work on the game. All those things happen between years three and five. At year five, I became a drug and alcohol counselor for the United States Navy on a full-time basis. And for five years, that's what I did. Then I got lucky. I went to New London, Connecticut. During that time, the Navy, in its infinite wisdom, as I was a counselor, sent me to all these conferences and all these schools. And not only a graduate of the Navy's uh, Alcoholism Treatment Specialist School, I am also a graduate of both their drug counseling school and advanced drug counseling school. And all that did was teach me when that day came when I wanted to drink or drug, I'd pray because I said, well, now I'm an alcoholic and I want to drink. And I think I was year six or seven, somewhere in that category. It was over a relationship. And this is one of my I've never smoked pot. I've never used cocaine or any of that other type of stuff. No, no, I'm just a alcohol kicked my butt hard enough I didn't need to try any of the rest of it, quite honestly. And I was in the Navy where it got me in trouble and I, I wanted to finish my career. After I retired, just before I retired, I met wife number two. And then I was stationed Hobart, New Jersey. A boy and say a girl on AA campus get married and go on it happily ever after. Wrong. After all. Year four months, she spit me out like a dirty dish rag. I found out she had one step. She was very jealous that I had a very solid program behind me that I put my program first, no matter what, in front of my child, in front of her, or anything else. That's the way it had to be. I intended to stay sober. Uh, at the time, within the 
in a short period of time. Uh, I showed up at the International Young People's Conference in uh, New York City at the Waldorf Astoria. Everybody said, they, they, they said, Jim, we weren't concerned about you drinking. We were concerned about you commit suicide. That's not what I said. I said, I might want to kill her, but I wasn't going to commit suicide. <laughs> and yes, I did want to. Again, a few months later, I was back in California where my sponsor was. And uh, because she lived on the East Coast, I went back to the West Coast. Which is over with. And my child support, because we had a child together, very simply, I my sponsor, went back to the steps on that relationship. And what I learned was, I got exactly what I deserved. Wow. Is that enlightening? Because it was pointed out. But the warning signs was there long beforehand. Before she and I made the decision to get married, before she and I got married, before the child was born or anything else. But that was not a healthy relationship. And I learned from it. I did. I learned a heck of a lot. I knew about her, but a lot about me. And again, what happens is I've got to work the steps on that relationship in the entirety. The person that told me that, and I took my sponsor, and we were good friends. My sponsor said, yes, that's how you do it. Sit down and do it. The next four years, I'm going to say, I've been five, 82 to 92, I guess it's about nine years. I lived in San Diego. I was in San Diego. I kept doing my AA things. There was periods of time where I didn't work. Uh, I was such a basket case mentally and physically that uh, I was doing good to keep a roof over my head. But you know what? I paid the child support. Things went the way they were supposed to. I did what I was supposed to trying to help someone else in this work. And I had been friends a long time. And finally, I moved over here to Arizona in 1992 to help my brother. He got over here and the first thing I found out is he had a new girlfriend that he wasn't even divorced from wife number two. And I went, hmm. Well, that's it for him right now. Don't get involved. Eventually what happened is I went bankrupt. Totally, physically, mental, spiritually, financially. Got to move home to my mother's house at age 50 and start all over again. My mom, you know, bless your soul, you know, said, yeah, I said, you can come on home. Oh, by the way, new house rules. Number one, you don't smoke in my house ever again. Number two, within a week you have a job. You've got one week to get your stuff sorted out and I want you out looking for a job. I said, okay. You can go to your A meetings, but don't ask me to put gas in your B. And you do it. I help you out this much. You can pay back everything that I lend you. Most of it should be for two checks. One to my insurance company and one to my finance company and my vehicle. A few days later, I went to say, four or five, I walked in and said, Mom, 
hit me up early in the morning. I had to go to apply for a job. My mother looked at me and said, son, you're going to apply for a job on Sunday morning. I said, mom, I'm going to apply for a job on Sunday morning. She said, where at? I said, the post cereal plant that's getting ready to open. She said, gosh, I'm going to get the job. Well, two weeks later, and I walked in and handed her $600 paycheck for the two weeks I'd worked. My mother said, I don't know how you did it. She said, you're working six days a week, ten hours a day, and you're bringing home this kind of money, and you're going to give it all. I said, I borrowed it, and I'll pay it back. Now, don't even give me anything out of that check. That one's yours. Next time, get a little while. That's the way it went. That's the time I was there. That job ran out in a very short time. They did tell me when they hired me that it was a short, short periodic job. My mother didn't understand how everybody and their brother that lived in that community was sort of like living sideways to Tonopah a little bit. And this place was just a couple of miles away. A community church like this is where my mom lived next to. Everybody in that church was trying to get on at that place and I one of them could get hired. And I'll walk, come in town, and in a week I'm working on it. She didn't understand. And then I was sober. To, I was doing what God told me to. And somebody else in AA meeting told me to go black because they needed someone with my expertise at that precise moment. This is very consulting for me. It's enormous. I had made a new friend and they got me the job. Many, many times in Alcoholics Anonymous, this is the way things have been. Many, many times. And I called some and said, went to a job site, construction, and said, I need a job. Do you have something? No, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't exactly know uh, how to do this. But I am teaching. I am sober. I get hired. Other people then, then come around. They take a look and say, no, we don't need you. What's the difference? I'm clean. And I'm sober. They can see it. And that I told the truth. I am teaching. I'm not there to rip them off. I try to give them an honest day's labor for an honest day's pay. I agreed to the honest day's pay X dollars an hour. And if it's the minimum, oh well, if I agree to it, that's what it is. That's honesty. As I say, I moved over here. In 92, moved back and went home to mom's and back in 90, back here in 93 and I got a job and I held it. Delivering rose bushes until 1999 when I got done paying off all my child support. I got done paying off all my bills, got out of debt, completely owned my own trailer, owned my own vehicles, had money in the bank, had, well, doing what I wanted to. And the job that I had came to an end. And I moved out to Sloan on the French property out there and stayed and helped him take care of his stepson who was an addict and an alcoholic is a nice word for it. But we kept him sober and he did achieve a couple of years. 
he finally said, no, it's not what he wanted. He went back to town, back into drinking and drugging, and we knew that would happen, so he got back in town. Uh, he already had a wet brain. That's his problem, not mine. You know, I was trying to help the individual. Just let us all just stay out there on that property. And that man decided to sell the property. I moved seven, eight miles over to a nice RV park. That's where I live. I've been living ever since. Now, I love it out there. I wouldn't trade it for all of tea in China. The bad thing is, it's going out back to my home group. It has four members during the summertime, maybe. Most of the time, too. Both of us have long-term sobriety. So we go dark in the summertime, so I had to find a new home here. Seven years ago, I found Murado. Murado Turning Point. That's where some of you know me from. That has became Sloan, that's my home group, except during the wintertime. But I make that mean I have a commitment there. And that's the thing that I found, is that I make commitments, and I can hold it. You know, I made a lot of commitments before I got the Department of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I can't think of a one. Not a single, solitary one that verbatim, as I made that commitment, I lived it. Didn't including me going in the Navy and standing for 20 years in return. I wound up standing for 21. Did not make the strikes because I gave somebody that I applied. I did get a retirement check. It's been nice. It's supported me quite well. The thing I have learned is that I have done this thing in its entirety. Everything from the steps, big book, being involved, being a GSR, being an intergroup rep, to being of service, not only to the alcoholic who still suffers, but to my fellow man. All of those things have brought me to this point where I'm not concerned whether I go to heaven or hell anymore. You know, like I said, I used to think when I was drinking I was going to hell in a handbasket. You know, my dad always told me the road was hell. Paid with good intention, and son, you can lay it down by the miles. He said, you can make a road and block top it in it. Miles of it in a single day. You know, today, what I've learned is it's not, you know, I'm not worried about the hereafter. I'm worried about living the life of God's terms in the here and now. The big book talks about living life on life's terms. You know, the one thing that I have found close to being a half-truth in that book is that. Living life on life's terms. Life on life's terms is hard. And the absence of crisis is not peace of mind. Absence of peace of mind is being able to deal with that absence of crisis when they come up. Having a way to do it. Everything I have in this program was given to me by someone else. None of what I have is original. Somebody else did it, and I just followed directions. And I'm sorry, but that's about where I'm at. That's my experience. That's my trick. And my hope is not only that I get to stay sober another day, but you do all stuff. That's my story. I'm sick of it. Thank you. Thanks, yeah.